Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, my name's Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian and feminist campaigner. And ever since podcasts started, I've been telling my dad he should do one. Dad, say hello. Hello. I am Alistair Campbell. I am also a campaigner and I fear I inspire a lot of Grace's comedy. And what's our podcast, Dad? Our podcast is called Football, Feminism and Everything in Between. Because? Because football is my passion, feminism is your passion and we are going to be talking to interesting people about those two things. And everything in between. Like Brexit. No, Dad. There is more to life than Brexit. Grace, so on a scale of one to ten, how big a feminist are you? Uh, obviously, ten. What about you? Uh, I reckon I'm six, seven in theory. In theory, a six, seven. I would say in practice, that's definitely not the case. Why don't we tell our listeners about the moment that I realised we should make a podcast together? Hi, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Grace. Doing? You're a feminist. I'm a feminist. Can a man be a feminist? <clears throat> yes, but I think to truly be a feminist, they need to really unpick things. So I've thought of some examples with you, which I'm going to talk about. Um, <laughs> firstly, you still call women birds, mm. which I think is isn't. I think you you don't even think about the impact that that has. You know? When do I do that? You do it when you're around men. Huh? When, when do I do that? You do it when you're around men. You do it when you're around men, I'm, I've observed. Okay, do I? I really? That, that's something. That if you truly want to be a feminist, yeah. women aren't birds. Birds are birds. Birds yeah. can fly. Women can't fly. And I, and I like birds. Exactly. Real because birds. Women aren't birds. So yeah. you, you call women women, you don't call them birds. Okay, that's I don't remember birds. calling them birds, but I'll, I'll promise not to do that again. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and also, the thing about doing stuff in the household is really interesting because, like, I've, I've noticed that what you do, which a lot of men do, is they, they make up the excuse of I can't. So I mm. don't know how to change the laundry. I don't know how to use the coffee machine, so I can't. Instead of saying you can't, just learn how to use an espresso machine because they made an espresso so easy that you could use it if you wanted to instead of making the excuse that you can't. Okay. All right. Well, I would, I, and I now want to educate you in football. You couldn't even name three current Burnley players, could you? <laughs> She's gone. Abs absolutely nothing. Life is all about education. You can educate me in feminism and I can educate you in football. Okay. Knowing three Burnley players doesn't prove any political point, does it? No. Okay. All right, Grace. Okay. Stop nagging me. So that was. Embarrassing. 
<laughs> was it embarrassing? Uh, no, not really. I mean, the, the press wrote it up as embarrassing, but I actually, I, as you know, I don't mind being called out on my non-feminism at times. And that was you were hosting a show on LBC, which was titled Can a Man Be a Feminist? Yeah. Which is a very interesting question. And actually, one of the reasons why we wanted to make this podcast, because we wanted to look into whether or not men think they can be feminists and how we can encourage more men to be feminists and also where feminism meets football. And also whether women allow men into the feminism debate in a way that maybe they should. So that's why we wanted to make this podcast and hopefully we It's not going to be heavy though. No, it's going to be fun. Good. No, no, we're super fun. Look at at me. I'm the most fun, chilled out girl. No, you are so serious. All right, Dad, tell our listeners why we've chosen this person to be the first ever guest on football, feminism and everything in between. Well, we've agreed this podcast is going to be about a lot more than politics. But yes, with no apology, our first guest is a Labour politician. Not any old Labour politician, but a former party leader. Now, all round, why couldn't he have been like this when he was running for office? King of the podcasts. Ed Miliband. Welcome to the podcasting community. Oh, so <laughs> superior. I've done it before you. Is that what that was saying? No, it was supposed to be big warm. <laughs> God, someone got out of the wrong you know, side of the bed. he's never listened to a podcast before. Shh. Not a single one. I'm, I'm looking That's forward to true. having this conversation with you, Grace, mm. actually. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, can we start with football? He's just clambering on the Grace Campbell <laughs> bandwagon, if you ask Thanks, me. Thanks, Ed. It's appreciated. Okay, can we start with football? Yeah. On the scale of I don't what... know that much about football. Okay, on a scale of one to ten, yes. How big a football fan are you? What did Jeremy Corbyn say about Europe? Seven. I'm, I'm less than seven. Less than seven. Three, two, three. Yeah. Okay, but you say you support Leeds United. Yeah, I'm a sort of lapsed Leeds United fan. Could you be a lapsed Leeds United fan? The thing is, I suppose what happened. We lived in Leeds in the 1970s, Leeds's glory days. Yeah. So that was definitely the right time to become a Leeds United fan. So once they stopped winning, you just ditched them. No, I know it's more once... You haven't done that to the Labour No, party. it's more once they stopped winning. <laughs> once they stopped winning is when I really became conscious of them and became a fan. So, uh, I, was, so I was sort of... Because I was in... 19, I was sort of relatively speaking, compared to you, I'm sort of younger. <laughs> so, uh, so in 1977, I was seven. And so I sort of became conscious of them, went to my first game, so I became a fan. Okay. And then the sort of downhill, the long slope downhill started for them. Can you remember who the manager was after Don Revy? Famously, uh, yes, Brian Clough. Well done. Can you remember who the manager was after Brian Clough? Well, it wasn't Wilkinson, was it? It was somebody... Jimmy Armfield. Jimmy Armfield, and then it was Jock Steen. It was who tragically died of a heart attack, didn't he? On the field, oh, on the field. I do remember that. Yeah, I used to listen. Not to... for Leeds, that was for Scotland. I used to listen to Sport on Two. Do you remember the Sports Report? It still goes. no, no. Sport on Two was the midweek thing. Okay, they used... yeah, you remember yeah, yeah. that was yeah, yeah. the thing. So I think it's fair to say I was more of a fan. But but you're it... not now. When was the last time you saw Leeds play? Oh, long, long time ago. More than like ten years ago. Let me just give you an up to date question. Do you know who the Leeds player was who's just been suspended for two games for deceit? No, but I did see the Leeds Villa thing, and I showed it to my kids. It's the same game. As a sort of teachable moment for those people who don't know, Leeds scored when the player was down, and then the manager, Bielsa, 
Is that a Juvenazi's name? That's his name, yes. Uh, yes. Insisted that they allow Aston Villa to score, which was, I thought was amazing. Then. I suddenly Jan- became more enthusiastic about right, Leeds. Jansen, the Leeds player, tried right, to sort then. of stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay, we've done football. Right, so you're a three. But I'm a big, big, my real sporting love is the Boston Red Sox. Right. Yeah. So when was the last time you saw them? Opening day last year. I took my kids to, op- to opening day in 2018, which was their f- best season ever. Do you uh, watch all their games from here? Well, you can watch their games. I think that maybe thinking about it, that's what changed, is that thanks to the interweb, I could sort of start <laughs> to watch watch them. And so once I could start to watch them... And it's because I associate it with living in America, being with my dad. There was sort but of do fun- you like the sport? Oh, yeah, the sport is incredibly exciting. Incredibly exciting. Who's your favourite baseball player? Oh, I suppose my the player I really was a great Boston player was called David Ortiz, who retired last year. But I, I lived, I was sort of doing some teaching and studying at Harvard in 2002, 2003. And, and 2003 was the last time they had what happens a lot to the Red Sox, and you might say to the Labour Party, a uh, sort of heroic failure. They kept nearly winning the World Series. They hadn't won the World Series between 1918 and 2004, and the, it was called the Curse of the Bambino, the Curse of Babe Ruth, because they sold their star player, Babe Ruth, or their owner did, in order to fund a musical. Um, <gasps> I remember this. No, no, Nanette. Yes. Uh, and uh, they didn't win, and so there were all these signs around Boston saying reverse the curse, and then in 2004, which was after I'd, I'd left, they reversed the curse, and then wow. they won. So you leave. And they've won as well. four times since uh, the century. I mean, I don't really get baseball. I've, I have been, and I watched it on telly a bit. But I don't really understand it as a sport. What do you have to? What sort of mind do you have to have to enjoy baseball? I think there's two things about it. There's one, the fact that it can turn on a sixpence. You, you know, what a team can be looking like they're going to lose, and they can win it all back right at the last inning. And I love the stats. There's, it's like total. So it's a geek sport. Geek sport, yeah. Because um, whenever I've been to baseball games, there's a lot of waiting around. Oh, that's part of the excitement. Yeah, well, waiting I, around is exciting. <laughs> I like. <laughs> I prefer a baseball environment to a football environment for sure. One of the reasons why I don't really like football is because I really don't like football stadiums. I I find them too stressful for me because it's so loud and it's so loud. It's so aggressive. Angry. Yeah. yeah, there's so many men. Yeah, you know, people like your dad. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Yeah. That's why you love them. You love going Burnley because everyone loves you. Mm. Just a boost to your ego. No, I like the football. I love the football. Come on, I love that's the not whole really thing. true. Well, I, I mean, you love the football. football. I'm sure that's true. But... Yeah. But you love going to Burnley. I love being going to Burnley because I love there. Burnley. No, I've loved it since I was five. I didn't go along at five thinking this is going to be really good for my ego. <laughs> Maybe you did, though. Do you want to move on to feminism? <laughs> and stop laughing I think that so is related loud. to your ego, actually, though. What, football? Feminism. Feminism. Yeah. Okay. So, how much of a feminist are you out of ten? I try to be. I try. My aspiration is ten, and I'm sure I fall well short of that. What do you think you fall short to? I've got to know. Three. Pro- oh, oh, what what number? In practice, because oh, like he says, he's like oh, in theory, what a seven, and in practice, like a three. No, I'm I'm ten in theory. I'm probably five or six in right. practice. Because it's quite feminist of me to ask this, but like Justine is a feminist hero, actually, for me, yeah. your wife. She's a judge now. Michael Judge, yeah. Yeah, which is sick. Yeah. Um, and That means good. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 
so because I've spoken to Justine before about how frustrating she found it when you were leader yeah, and, and during yeah. the campaign, and yeah, it was like yeah. she'd turn up places, yeah. and all anyone cared about was what she was wearing. I'm more, I'm more than a dress, she used to say. Yeah, yeah. Did that? Was that like a moment where you were like, "Oh, this is still quite old school in terms?" Yeah, of the and way it took me too women. long to realize. And it took me too long to realize. I think the things like her coming up on stage after Labour Party conference, I shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? But it's so hard because you're made to feel yeah, that that's what you have I think, to do. Well, I didn't need to, though. I think I think it was sort of... I think if, you know, if I did it again, I'd do it, I'd do it sort of differently. In what way? Well, I think... Not you know, make it so much. Yeah, and I think Jeremy Corbyn actually does, you know, Laura is not part of his sort of entourage, not entourage, but you know what I mean? He doesn't do that. I think I also underestimated the stress anxiety and you know nightmare it was for her partly watching the person you love go through being leader i mean that's kind of was probably hard to avoid but i think it's really really hard i think it's i think it was incredibly hard for her actually what you mean the personal abuse and stuff yeah and also i think well, it's not being there or what uh well i think probably both of those things but i think it's also that you care so deeply about the person but there's nothing you can do about what they're going through. You know what I mean? She couldn't, you know, when things went wrong or ups and downs, she couldn't sort of really do that much about it. So I think that's just, mm. but maybe that's just intrinsically hard. I mean, it's presumably hard for Philip May or whoever. But it's interesting, isn't it? That I like... don't think I was sufficiently appreciative of that. And I think she was far too much expected to sort of be there at these events and so on without necessarily, you know, my team did the best they could supporting her. But I probably, I wasn't cognizant enough of it. Yeah, because it's interesting. I was telling Dad, she told me this thing, which I hope it's okay. We can take it out if it's not okay to say. But she told me that during that campaign, her Miriam Clegg basically said this joke one day, why don't we all just turn up wearing the same dress? Because all they cared about, about Sam Cam, Miriam Clegg and Justine, was yeah. what they were going to turn yeah. up wearing. And no one really looks at what Philip May's wearing. No, exactly. And yeah. it's just, it, it sort of feels like nothing really has changed in the time that I'd say you two have been in politics. Well, well, some things have changed, but some things haven't changed. And I think that you're right to say that the sort of spousal role when it's a woman is one of the things that is totally changing. Some Tory has just started this website, the Wives of Westminster. And the, have you not noticed Jeremy Hunt, uh, Dominic Raab, recently have just been sort of... Right parading their wives really like as part of a political strategy it would yeah. seem what do you think has changed in terms of gender equality in westminster since you've been here well to start with the numbers have changed so 44 45 percent i think it is of labor mps are now women uh when harriet Armand, who i worked for was elected i think it was three percent wow really um before the 2015 election, it was 31%. So, you know, it went up significantly. You know, the issues that are central to politics. I mean, I think women being, you know, in Parliament has changed the issues that are central to politics. Things like violence against women, you know, to say childcare. Obviously, childcare is important to men and women. But period with those poverty. Things, period poverty. Those things are more part of politics. Mm. But it doesn't mean to say there isn't a long... You know, there's, there's definitely further to go. Why do you think... This is actually the question I've been most excited yeah. to ask you. Why do you think that the Conservative parties had two female leaders and the Labour parties had none, as someone who has been the leader of the Labour Party? Um, You're saying it should have made way for a woman? No, I'm saying you've been there. I mean, I often so thought you, that. you both will have an insight. So I have thought about this, just in, uh, partly knowing that we'd be talking about this. So... 
the problem doesn't seem to be women becoming Labour MPs, or at least we're not at 50%, we should be, but we're at a higher number, significantly higher number, I think it's double than the, than the, than Conservatives, the, than yeah. the Tories. I think maybe it's part of, you know, women are less likely to put themselves forward than men. Um, and that is, that's probably true in the Labour Party too. So, you know, Harriet Harman has talked about how she could have stood for leader at various moments and she didn't. And maybe if she'd been a man, she would have done. But I think then also the Labour Party is a product of the wider society in which we operate. So, you know, if you think about the culture, I, I was the Icelandic prime minister was here last week and she just has just introduced five months paternity leave, use it or lose it for men alongside five months for women. Oh. Five months. Now, if you think about the, the change of culture that that represents, that's really big. So I, th so I think you've got to have general cultural change. Labour Party, you know... Because it is interesting that from such a small culturally. pool of yeah. conservative women, yeah. they've and, managed to... And fewer... I, I was thinking about this. I think fewer... Um, there have been fewer women... Can, I think there have been four Labour candidates. Four women have stood to be Labour leader. Mm. Um, and I think it's probably only Theresa May... Margaret Thatcher and Andrea Leadsom have stood to be wow. Tory leader. I think I'm right in saying that. So me, so, and, my, me and my friend Scarlett have this theory. Sorry, I'll yeah, say this and we'll, then we'll move on. But which is that, so for the swing voters, to say you're going to vote on the left, it's like feels slightly progressive. But then to say you're going to vote on the left and for a woman, it's like a bit much to ask. And so if I you're see. swinging to that the right, it, may, it sort of takes away from the fact that you're voting like on the right wing. So voting for a woman sort of doubles to that progressive feeling that you're sort of ticking a box because at least I'm voting for the Tories, but at least I'm voting for a woman. But does that explain why the Labour Party hasn't selected a woman to you be see, I think that's because there's a real issue with the people on the left fearing confident, powerful women. That's my opinion on that. But I just think Might that's right. why those women do well in the Conservative Party. Right. I think Hillary's defeat was partly misogyny. Yeah. A lot of people felt... Yeah. You know, we've had a black guy for eight years, and now they're asking us to take a woman. I think there was that that feeling that helped Trump. Yeah, I, whereas, I do... whereas you're saying if it'd been a Republican, somehow, yeah, because it doesn't have the same. Yeah, because it's yeah. like if you don't always vote for the Conservative Party, I have a slight guilt that I'm voting for the Conservative Party, but I'm voting for yes. a woman. It's the second or third or whatever female first female prime minister will ever have. That's quite progressive of yeah, me. Yeah, I see. Pat on the back, but I voted Tory. So I sort of feel like women on the left are always, uh, for a long time going to have that trouble. But hopefully, well, it's just, I mean, we want to go on to talking about the next generation, but hopefully we can sort of encourage more women like what Harriet didn't feel she could do. Yeah. Obviously, Jeremy Corbyn is bound to win the next general election and probably be there for another 20 years. But when he stops... <laughs> I know being, that's where you're hoping, Alistair. <laughs> obviously, when he stops being leader of the Labour Party, there will be a sort of sense of it has to be a woman now. Is, do you think that's... I really want a woman to be leader, definitely. I think you've got to look to see the candidates. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting because at the moment, well, I'm writing this Edinburgh show called Why I'm Never Going Into Politics, but I've been thinking loads about what makes people want to be a politician... What was it that made you want to be a politician? Changing the world. Um, I think that's the only reason to do it. And do you think politics it. is still the way to do that? Yes, I do. I mean, politics... And yet last week you had all the politicians, or recently you had all the yeah. politicians going to watch a 16-year-old girl tell them what to think. That's Greta. 
Thunberg. Thunberg well, there's different about. ways of changing the world. You do it in the sort of place where you think you can make the difference. I mean, my dad's choice was to try and change the world in a more sort of long-term, maybe utopian way by writing. He had some opportunities to go into politics. And do you think he changed the world? I think he changed the you know, minds of people who um, read his books. And I still get people coming up to me saying, oh, you know, I was really influenced by your dad's book at university. So sort of surprising people. I was really influenced by your dad's books at university. But I think what was interesting about him, and maybe this is the reason why David and I didn't, weren't deterred from politics, is that he was sort of, resp- he wasn't one of these people who was an academic who said, you know, anyone who goes into politics is just a bloody sellout. Mm. He was sort of respected People, people who went into politics. They were the people who used to try and persuade him to go into politics, but he was, you know, he, he thought the Labour Party was too compromising. He didn't want the compromise. I, think. I mean, he encouraged us to want to change the world, but and want to change things. So did my mum, but not in a sort of you've got to go into politics kind of way. But he, he, you know, I think it was important that he wasn't one of these people who thought either politics is just compromise and therefore you know it's to be avoided at all costs or. Let's just wait for the revolution to come and then, you know, everyone, let's wait for things to get worse. Let's not, you know, he used to canvas for the Labour Party, even though he was had real qualms about the Labour Party. It's interesting now, though, with like what's happened with Greta Thunberg. She's the best yeah. example yeah. of looking at a, a young person or someone on the outside of politics who's had significantly more influence because of being on the outside and being a 16-year-old schoolgirl. That's obviously had so much impact. Do you sort of feel now that like, since when my dad and all of them lot and you then started being in politics that actually the attitude of the public has shifted from thinking the only way I can make change is by going into politics to then thinking actually you can have quite an impact on the outside. I think one of the good things about the sort of social media era is that protest and sort of social movements are easier. If you think about the Me Too movement, it wouldn't have happened in the era before social media, I don't think, or at least not in that way. If you think about what Greta has done, climate strikes, if you think about Extinction Rebellion, I think all of those things are a consequence. But I think in a way, whether you're Greta or Extinction Rebellion or in politics, if I have one regret about my time as leader, I wasn't bolder. I felt I was bold in the analysis of the problems and not bold enough in relation to the solutions. What do you think you were afraid of? In terms uh, of- that I felt I was holding two things in my hands, which is one, the sort of need to change things, but also the need to get elected. And I thought that there was a sort of tension. And I think to an extent there is a tension, but I probably overplayed what the tension was. And I actually think we're probably in an era now where people want greater boldness. I think the reason why Jeremy Corbyn did better in 2017 than people thought was because he was offering a sort of bolder vision. Whether you like the vision or don't like the vision, it was a bolder vision and people could have set, sensed that primary colour thing. If you think about Extinction Rebellion, I think that both the tactics of Extinction Rebellion mm. in the sense it wasn't, yes, it was disruptive, but it was also nice and, you know, praised the police and cleaned up after itself and all that. Totally. And it's... And it's sort of uncompromising nature. I think the public reaction is interesting because people, some people didn't like their tactics, but three to one, they seem to approve of the aims. Yeah. But ultimately, you have to, you know this, having been yeah. in cabinet, but ultimately you then have to make policy decisions and put laws through parliament. Do you not feel that there's this, that, the, that sense of disconnect between what people want from politics and what politics is delivering? Does it, does it feel that it's grown to you? But would you have said that in 1945? I don't know. But, I mean, in 1945, think about the boldness of the vision. Oh, of course, yeah. When did politics become, it's all too complicated to have big change happen? 
No, I'm not. I'm not so- saying you're saying that, but did, do you know what I'm I mean? saying? The opposite. I'm saying the public want that to happen, right? But, but they but po- feel that politics can't deliver I see. it because the, the because of the system. I don't yeah, know. I, I do think a lot of what a lot of people feel now, especially because of the, the state of the Labour Party and the state of the Conservative Party, is it does seem from the outside that it's actually impossible for most people to get anything done because both parties are so split. And so everyone's just fighting with each other constantly. Of course, Brexit is so difficult. Um, well, Brexit is the, the best manifestation of the fact that our system doesn't really seem to, to function properly. I suppose- so I think that's what people really see at the moment. So I suppose I sort of feel we're at this moment, it's kind of from the financial crisis onwards, and Brexit is a symptom of it, where people want something different. And if I'm allowed to quote Antonio Gramsci, you know, the, the old order is dying, but the new is yet to be born. And we haven't quite got to the new order. And I think what you're seeing is the struggle for a different thing. So I was at this event this morning with John McDonnell about the universal basic income. So this is the way you reform the welfare system, a flat amount to everybody it's been a utopian idea for a long time, but there's people now doing experiments with it in Scotland, in Finland, in, you know, John McDonald wants to do one here. People are searching for, di- people see climate change, they see inequality, they think there must be a better way of running our society than this. Right, my point is they're looking at Parliament at the moment yeah, and sort of thinking, that's not going to do it. Do you feel that? Do you, when you're out and about, do you feel that the, yes, I think the standing content- MPs has fallen? wasn't that high to begin with but but, Mm. yeah i think people can't quite put their finger on it i think in a way brexit was a consequence of that Mm. brexit was a consequence of people thinking we need to kick the system in the bollocks because it's kind of not working for us Mm. you know of course there were specific issues about you know immigration and europe and all that but it was also a wider discontent Mm. with the way things were but don't you think that you guys should be telling them that you've given us a kick in the bollocks but actually you're going to end up hurting yourselves a lot more than us well look that is obviously i i understand you raised brexit i understand (laughs) i understand your position on this i think you know you know that i've always felt a second referendum is a last resort Mm. it's very hard if the vote was about discontent with the political system to then go back to people now, you know, I haven't said no, never. As I say, it's a last resort. But I think you've got to find, you've got to see whether there's another way forward. Hmm. I really want to know, as someone who's done lots of activism with, with young people in this country in particular, if it's a realistic vision of mine to think that maybe when I'm your age, we will be doing politics in a different way, that we will have 50-50 representation. Well, should we go for our, let's do our manifesto. Let's do, our, yeah. let's do a let's three-way do manifesto yeah. here. Okay, so 50-50, women and men. I th- increasingly think that the boorishness that the House of Commons encourages is incredibly off-putting. What does that mean, sorry? People y- shouting at each oh, other. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, all that yaboo. I mean, but every leader who's come in has said, I'm going to try and change this. And the- What is it about the system? What about that- what, okay, when we move out of Westminster, changing the nature of the, the chamber? Yeah, changing the nature move of the chamber. The move to the north? Yeah. 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 I mean, Parliament in Burnley, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? At, Doncaster. Well, no, then. it's more. It's just like Burnley. <laughs> at Turf Moor. Turf Moor. No, you get can't turn- get rid of the football ground, <laughs> for God's sake. But seriously, I mean, that place is falling to bits, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Should be a museum, possibly. Possibly. I think, look, the thing is, in a way, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because are we really going to move out of Parliament 
costs of billions of pounds and come back with it being exactly the same. I mean, I know I mean, it's the plan. You know, it's like, That's the plan. It's like a sort of it's like a sort of endorsement of status quo. It's going so well that we just want to preserve it as yeah. it is, but without yeah. the mice. I mean, <laughs> so have a but radical that- thought about that. Radical thoughts about what that. What about uh, lower the voting age? Yep, definitely yeah, 16. definitely lower the Compulsory voting age. Compulsory books of education in schools? Yep, definitely. Voting online, I've just seen that that's actually happening now. Is that Possibly, yeah. Voting online, I think that would be quite important. But then also, it's about how do you get the next generation of people to feel encouraged to go into politics who aren't privately schooled educated yep. from privileged academic yep. families who encourage them to think that they can actually make a difference in the world. How do you really change that? Is it the school system? Yeah, part of it. But you see, it's interesting for the Labour Party, isn't it? Because the trade unions used to be the source of that for the Labour Party. Now, they still are to an extent, but probably not as much as they once were. All of that is important. I don't have an easy solution to that, but yeah. Do you feel you're in a kind of bit of, still in a bit of a public school environment yeah. over there? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm I... not on our side, but I mean, yeah. Jeremy Corbyn your... went to private school. Is that right? Yeah, he went to a private day school. Nigel Farage went to Dulwich College. All of these people. Yeah, but all these people that we're sort of taught to think are like your everyday new types of doing politics, whether or not you agree with Nigel Farage, they both went to public school. So ultimately, so many. Grace Grace doesn't like public schools. No, I'm like my mum. (laughs) Sorry, you're saying I do? Don't know. Don't know you that well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all of that, I think. you know, the House of Commons looks arcane. Although, you know, in the end, if Parliament, if politics and Parliament delivered big change, maybe people would have more faith in it. That's why I think Brexit ultimately is the issue at the moment. But you know, what's interesting about Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, I think it is interesting, is that maybe it goes back to what I was saying earlier. She has shifted the the ground you know, there's this term in political science, the Overton window. What's the sort of, what's considered acceptable? What she said about higher taxes on the richest, 70% tax rate, which I don't think was that, it wasn't, I think from people who told me about the interview, she sort of said it slightly, wasn't as planned as it might have seemed. What she said about the Green New Deal, yeah. she shifted the ground. And I think that is, I think going back to what you said about campaigning, it's quite interesting, isn't it? How somebody, she's sort of both insider and outsider. And I think that's maybe part of what politics, what people want from politics at the moment. Yeah, and and what, that's what we need here. But she's also a star. I mean, she's got star quality. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, I don't she's know. faced incredible sexism, actually. Yeah. From the Republicans, hasn't she? Mm. Everything from the way she dresses to some dance video she did when she was in college, you know, all of that. Do you think she could be president one day? Well, somebody was pointing out that she she will be as old as Bernie Sanders in, I think, 2069. So she's got 50 years. <laughs> She's got a lot of presidential elections to sort of... And then you worry that in that time she'll Well, maybe. Sort of... Unravels, yeah, yeah. Where is the Labour Party at the moment? Sort of finding Brexit difficult, negotiating, you know, navigating between leave and remain voters, which is hard. But I think with a big agenda, you know, the interesting thing about this, this uh, Universal Basic Income event is we have our differences about the agenda of Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell, but I think it has opened up a lot of space it's opened up a lot of space around things that were sort of off off limits, you know, industrial ownership, you know, redistribution, universal basic income, climate change. You know, there's there's nothing is sort of off limits. 
And if you think about where the energy is in the Labour Party, I was at this launch of this other think tank the other day um, about these ownership questions about tech and so on. It's just a huge amount of energy. Mm. And I think that is, I think that's actually good for the Labour Party because I think there is a lot of intellectual and ideas energy there. But obviously Brexit is incredibly tough. And poll-wise, I mean, it just doesn't look that good. And the local elections weren't that good. Yeah, but I mean, we're in a sort of we're in an exceptional. A lot of that is to do with you know what did you call it a news sponge? I mean, Brexit is like a cloud that is just sort of no nothing else is getting through. I don't think. Well, what's the way to deal with that? But how about taking the cloud away? You know, that's too simple. I mean, I think that's a bit. You know. No, I agree, but you know, maybe in the end, that's the only way to do it. When you started working in Westminster, was yeah. he like really mean? My dad, I'm pointing out right now. Uh, was he scared? Were you scared of him? No, I don't think he was mean. Actually, um, thank you, Ed. I mean, I think he was. Right sort now, of un- Alistair has his arm round Ed Miliband's <laughs> throat. He was. He was. Ah, oh, 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 mean. Uh, uh, no, I think he was uncompromising and sort of, sort of incredibly driven. Do you think we need? Maybe a bit more of that in the Labour Party now. I think he would recognise that some of that went too far and, you know, the sort of whole message discipline and, you know... you know, the, the, no, the election-winning stuff. No, the, it's so awful. The no, no, <laughs> no government is sort of perfect and, you know... Government there was, delivering of the economy oh, and society and better public services um, so bad. There was lots of good things about that time. And then there were obviously mistakes. But I think that's sort of inevitable. But look, I think the, the thing I will say about him, this is meant in all seriousness, is the, one of the best things about your dad is that he is deeply loyal to Labour. And whether it was me or Gordon or, well, Tony obviously worked for, but who, you know, whatever the problems he had with any of us, he worked incredibly hard. And I know he's going to do the same for Jeremy. Aren't you, Dad? He's well, next on the podcast. <laughs> I love it if Jer- Jeremy won't talk to me for GQ. I'd very be very surprised if he'll talk to me for the podcast. But I'd definitely ask him. He's got his arms folded. So have I actually? <laughs> Both folding your arms, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was an interesting time, though. It was a much more interesting time, I think, than now. It wasn't a much more interesting time. Very good things were done, but the the dangers now are much greater than yeah. they were then. But the opportunities are also, I think, greater. Okay, no, I, did, I didn't actually mean more. What I meant was I, I feel that we were we felt able to do more than people today feel able to do, I think. What, what does that mean? I think the politicians feel a bit of a sense of helplessness at the moment. That is my sense, both of government and opposition. I mean, I think that might be true of Brexit, but I don't think that's too, true more okay. generally. Don't you think? I don't know. It feels to me I mean, like... Look, what a... were the things that we didn't, we feared doing? Taxing the rich? No-go area. Don't want to see his anti-business. Taxing business. Don't want to go there. Anti-business. Europe. My love for the pound. You know, you know, <laughs> do I keep them on board? Rupert Murdoch. Well, you know. Rupert's, I've persuaded, Rupert's, I've persuaded Rupert's, you to go for it. Rupert's end. Rupert. We've got to keep him on board. <laughs> I mean, I always say health and education, brilliant. Tax credits, great. Minimum wage, great. Peace in Northern Ireland, great. Gay rights, great. But, and, but Alistair only hears the but. As if I'm saying the whole record was rubbish. You know, but that's not what I, that's not what I think. You know, but it's sort of, yeah. Anyway, but anyway, I, you, but anyway, I think the thing I feel most of all is that people are product of their time. I, I totally get that by being a product of your time. 
Is it not a bit strange for you, sort of still being here as an M, you know, kind of backbench MP? Four years today since I lost since the election day, by the way. Oh my god, oh, is wow. it? Yeah. Oh my god. Four years today. Yeah, that should have been we buried the lead. Wow. I've got. I only just clocked it this morning. Actually. So four years ago, you thought. Yep. You you woke up in the morning yep. and thought you were going to be prime minister the next day. Possibly, yeah. I think you thought that. Well, I thought there was a good chance. Yeah. Yeah. And then it didn't happen, and now yep. you're still here four years. Yeah. Later, was there not a part of you just thought? Get out, go and do something different. Yeah, uh, yes, but I, I've had those moments, but I enjoy being an MP. I enjoy trying to do the best for my constituents, and I think it's a platform to talk about ideas. I think I thought straight away from the day after the election, okay, I may not be leader anymore, but I can still try and make a contribution in the ideas business. That's why I do this podcast, which is about ideas reasons to be cheerful, reasons to make the world a better place. That's why I'm doing things like this um, Environmental Justice Commission about how do we make combine economic justice and environmental justice. It's a platform. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, is it, is, does it have its weird moments being here? Uh, yes, as a backbencher, um, definitely. How long did it take you to stop thinking about even a bit about, and particularly now when you see Theresa May doing it so sort of badly and... And then when the the brilliant led by donkeys went around the country with that, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah, putting Cameron's famous tweet up of you know you can have strength and stability with me or chaos with Ed Miliband. What did you think of that? How does that make you feel? I think it more well. I think the tweet is you know Cameron's tweet is is the sort of tweet. I think it's. I hesitate to say it's a bit like grief, but it's not like losing somebody. But it is you know it, it's a form of grief losing the election. And so, therefore, it sort of doesn't disappear completely. But within a year or 18 months, I was thinking... Future. Future. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where, that's kind of where I'm, you know, in, what I'm interested in. If I, if I thought there was nothing more I could do or, you know, then, then I, I'd sort of, I suppose I'd give up. But I don't, I don't really feel that. And if Labour do win the election, would you hope and want to be part of a possibly, government? Possibly. Possibly. Don't rule it out. There's a lot of downside to that. You, you know, because you sort of lived with it growing up yeah there's a lot of downside to being in the front line mm. the pressure of the front line it does take its toll on you know me on my family that's why i think when you say that he only hears the but is because it is the iraq war is what you initially when you left Anish, it was what you got a lot of shit for and all of the it's like that's the thing that i've seen so close with politics is that at the end of the day whatever you've achieved if you fuck up that's all you're going to be remembered for. You may have done yeah. so many incredible things for the country, but you'll always be remembered for that one. And, and that's what we always see with political leaders. They're always remembered for... All political careers end in failure, you think? I kind of think they do because a lot of the people that I remember or that I think about or that I've seen people criticise a lot, David Cameron, Brexit. You know, that's what we'll yeah. always think about him. I don't think he was a good prime minister yeah, yeah, anyway. Sure. Why do we keep doing it? Because we care about... I think you were saying on the Nick Robinson podcast, you know, I've got these demons, but I need, you know, purpose is what helps keep, you know, keep me going. And that must be right. Yeah. But is it also that you guys have just been in this machine or whatever it is for so long now that you kind of can't imagine living without it? I think that's definitely the case for. No, but I, I, I could try, and I wouldn't be very good at it, but I could try and go and be an academic or go and teach, and I don't, and I've done a little bit of that. I uh, did a bit of that in Paris last year, just doing a few lectures. But And that's rewarding. But, you know, it's not the same as 
trying to sort of change things. I think it's a, I think it's a big opportunity. No, no, I, I feel at the moment, I feel the opposite of that. I feel actually I, I don't have the capacity and the power to change things because I don't know. You're still trying. Yeah, but I don't have my, I don't feel I have hands but on levers. You leaders. have a sort of mojo from your Brexit campaign, yeah. don't you? Yeah, for sure. And a kind of, uh, you know, vigor, a, a vigor and a purpose yeah. about it. I think the other thing that is so interesting though is I think the biggest question for people like me and maybe people like your dad is, is can, can you keep learning? Hmm. In other words, do you have enough humility to keep learning? Mm. There was quite a lot of pressure on me after I lost the election to go out with a sort of instant analysis of here's why I lost. I should have done this. I should have been tougher on the deficit or less tough or whatever. And I thought, well, I'm not, I, I feel like I'm not in a very good position to judge this because I'm the guy that lost the election. So I need to sort of take my time and sort of think think about it. And I think I think that capacity to learn from other people, it's, it, it's quite easy to lose it in politics mm. and to sort of think to yourself – I just know it all and, you know, just... Uh, and that's back to the system. There's, there's there's no kind of reward for admitting that you don't know. You never hear, you very rarely hear politicians saying, I don't know the answer to that. They feel under pressure to have an answer for everything. And do you think, like, when you met Greta Thunberg last yeah. week and you were all, you know, heard you talking about all these, like, old established parliamentarians sort of peering in to look at this 16-year-old, did it feel then that like, this is so weird, we're actually, like, learning from someone who's so much younger than us, with so much less experience in conventional politics i mean you know for me not really because i think there's a there's a sort of simplicity to her message Mm. and there's a sort of she's not compromised by you sometimes experience is helpful and sometimes it can act as a terrible constraint oh you know it's can't do that you know that's going to be impractical how can we you know get to how can we change the system so quickly and i think it's sort of getting yourself out of that mindset is really hard and in a way it takes a sort of or maybe it helps to have a Greta or an Extinction Rebellion or that kind of thing putting sort of pressure on you to to do that but also she doesn't have to have the answers in the end you have to have the answers she's basically saying this is this is the big problem why aren't you dealing with it it's not her job to have the answers unless she goes and eventually goes into politics Who would be your dream six-a-side team to change the world? So my team is Alexandra Casio-Cortez. Well, just because I've, what I've said about her, that she shifting the Everton window of politics, great campaigner, not wanting to take no for an answer. Kumi Naidu, former head of Greenpeace International, now the head of Amnesty International, South African, incredible campaigner, incredible charisma. Um, I'd love to have him on my team. Grayson Perry. Oh, Great I thought one. you were going to say Grace then. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, Grace. I thought it was you weren't allowed to have the people on the podcast on it. Otherwise, obviously, you'd both be on it. Uh, <laughs> Grace uh, and Perry, that's a great, uh, that's a great uh, one. Because I think you've got, you know, somebody, artist, cultural icon, masculinity, all of those yeah, things. Yeah, love. Uh, Jacinda Arden, mm-hmm. fantastic female leader. Not ju- I think before the Christchurch, you know, the massacres in Christchurch, just, I think she's just got incredible leadership. Arnie Graff, do you know Arnie Graff? He was the guy who did citizens organising for me. So after I lost the general election in 2015, I went on this course on community organising, you know, how you organise grassroots campaigns. Arnie did actually work for me while I was leader, but I think he's he's incredibly wise guy. He trained Barack Obama like 50 years ago. Um, So anyway, him. And then um, a friend of mine, Emily Shukbra, who is a climate scientist, who works for the British Antarctic Survey, 
because I think you need a, I think that is such a massive challenge that you need a you need a scientist and you need somebody who can explain to the public not in a sort of politician way why this needs to be tackled you've got a, that is, that a, is, a, that great... is a climate change team yeah I did by the way say he would pick AOC I don't remember that we thought you were going to put Greta on there that was our I thought you oh, well. thought Greta and I also thought you might put Justine on there yeah we thought maybe I Justine think, oh, well obviously she's on my team yes I know she's on your team <laughs> this is your, these are the only people you're allowed to take on your team it's not like a desert island well it might yeah maybe it might, is. we don't know where we go with this <laughs> well, anyway, Justine, no, that's a great team island. that's a, a very good team. team oh thank you Ed really that nice. was great that was great thank you I loved that. Was it good? I loved that. It's quite strange for me interviewing people that I know really, really, really well. And but that also, known for like years and years and years. Is it strange for you having a conversation with someone like Ed, who you worked with for such a long time when you were properly in Westminster, and now he's still in it, and you're kind of asking him? Because I was really surprised about what he said about his views towards Jeremy Corbyn and. Do you think he has to say that because he's a part, Labour MP? I think partly. I think he knows that if he was to say something different, it would create waves that he probably doesn't want to make. Uh, and also, Ed, is, you know, probably does have a slightly different view of the way the Labour Party should be to what I do. Um, I also think it was it was quite poignant in a way that, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by this thing, not least because of my obsession with sport and winning and losing. I don't. He's, he seems remarkably kind of well-balanced and chipper for somebody who lost an election that on the day of the election he honestly thought he was going to win. He but really that's just, did. That's actually such a mad level of resilience because most people, I would definitely just have to leave, I think, and never come back to Westminster ever again, like what David did. And he goes there and he stands up on the back benches and he does what he does and he's doing his other and stuff. And he's actually optimistic, I think, yeah. about... Labour Party, but that's because he's more in it than you. So was that weird? Because I, I sort of thought maybe he'd be a bit more downbeat about Corbyn. No, I think it's. Um, I think he kind of does feel that I'm a bit too harsh on the the way the Labour Party is today. Um, but I thought the other thing that was 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 interesting is that I'd like Ed to be a bit more out there on the Leave Remain argument. Um, but I, I do understand that you know the difficulties. He's the MP in Doncaster, which was very very Leave. Uh, I think the politics of this are very, very difficult. But I think what's interesting about Ed is I think he's become much more reflective, freed from the constraints, if you like, the pressures of being leader. Because that was actually something I found really interesting about what he said when he was leader, is that he felt he was never really bold enough. And so he ended up being kind of neither here nor there because he wasn't as different as Corbyn, however much you like him or don't like him. He was sort of trying to appeal to both sides mm. that was very interesting i think hearing him say that mm. in, on reflection so he put aoc alexandria yeah, ocasio yeah. cortez yeah, yeah. on his dream six aside team just the other day i watched knock down the house so which did I. Was, I know because i told you to you did I told I you did to watch it for told. your research for homework mm. um and I thought it was amazing. A documentary about women running for Congress in America. And they've mainly followed Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, who I have to say came over as very special. I, I hadn't quite bought all the hype because I thought this is just crazy. They've just delighted upon this woman. What's so great? What's so special? But then the documentary kind of 
just she's got depth. something she's hasn't she something, she's yeah. got definitely. there's that one bit which I've spoken with loads of my female friends about where she's sitting with her boyfriend preparing for the debate and she goes I'm just gonna wow. take up space and she's you know going like that physically but she's a she's a very petite woman mm. who really has taken up a lot of space in this sort of white male middle-aged world mm. what I loved about it was the fact that I don't know how much control she had over the output. I guess not much. But what I loved about it is, even though she's obviously you know very attractive, very energetic, all the kind of qualities you might want with a young politician, but she didn't do much sort of talking about herself. It was always about people and their stories and the system. And, and I think some of our politicians could learn a lot from that. It is true. When you said it the other day, I suddenly realised that's what's so appealing about her, is that she really really cares and it's authentic you can tell that yeah she's in her community and she's learned from staying in this community her entire life Mm. and now she's trying to make it much better and all this thing at the moment you watch these sort of pygmies who are jockeying to take over Theresa May and they're all got this they're all trying to get their fascinating backstory out there the wives of Westminster James Brokenshire with his cake and you know Dominic Raab with his sort of and they all want to have what are you going to do what are they what what are their ideas I thought she had a really 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 good backstory but she wasn't really pumping it she was just out there as a politician now and I was very very impressed interesting that Ed Chozer is one of his team as well totally Thank you very, very much for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is a Pink Protest production produced by Shola Aleje. And if you're wondering where the fantastic music comes from, it's by my favourite Scottish band, Skipinish. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.